You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. Hope you're doing well. Uh, today, we are excited. We're going to continue our Behind Enemy Lines series this morning. We'll get into more of that in just a second. But before we do, we have some special guests with us today that I'd wanted to introduce to you and uh, let you see them. Um, today, we have the William James Middle School cheerleaders with us. Did I say something? I meant base, did I say baseball team, baseball team. Uh, so I was going to ask them if y'all stand up real quick, let these folks see. I'm proud of this group of boys. You guys can have a seat. Uh, proud of them. I've had the opportunity to help coach them this year, and uh, it's a very special group of kids. Um, they're just good boys, and I've had the pleasure of being able to be on a coaching staff that's uh, uh, special also, that, that really loves these boys and loves them uh, more than just being baseball players, but wants them to grow into good young men. And so um, they're a special group of kids and, and growing young men. Um, and so just wanted you to meet them. They all came today to uh, be together, and uh, we like to do a lot of things as a team. So I'm um, glad that they are here. Glad you guys made it. Um, today, as I said, we're going to continue the Behind Enemy Lines series. For those of you who haven't uh, been here before, we're glad you're here, and we'll catch you up real quick. Um, this Behind Enemy Lines series has been going through the book of First Thessalonians. And uh, as we've been looking at this, we've been thinking about how if we were to go behind enemy lines during a war, uh, during a battle, we could find out what the enemy was going to use against us. We could find out their plans. Many times in life, um, we don't realize that we have an enemy. Uh, many times that can be Satan, uh, or it could even be ourselves or someone else that is coming into our lives in ways that is... is uh, telling us lies about maybe ourselves or about what life is about or what church is supposed to be. And so we've been looking at different lies that oftentimes we believe as individuals or we believe as a church that um, aren't true. And we've been refuting those lies with God's truth, God's word. And so today we're going to continue doing that. If you have your Bible, you can turn there to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 5. Um, this is the next to the last message in this series. And so First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into the message. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, to set this up for you, what's going on is Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica. He's writing it to them. They've had a question about the, the day, the time, the season when Jesus would return. And so Paul's writing to them saying, basically, listen, it's not so important that you know the day, the time, and the season. What's important is that you're living every day in God's presence. What's important is that you're consistently walking with him. And then when that day and time and season comes, which none of us really know, um, when that day and time and season comes, you'll be prepared, you'll be ready. And so he's answering their question in this. He says in verse four, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. 
You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity to be in your word. We thank you, God, for the truth that it is. I pray, God, that you would just move in power and move um, through the power of your Holy Spirit as you bring this word to life. I pray, God, that you would uh, not just allow this to be a, a good message, Lord, but just to come with a message that's powerful to change our hearts. Now, that's what we want is we want to be more like you. So, Lord, would you move in that way today? Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your purpose in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Today, the lie that we're going to look at is that apathy is acceptable. That apathy is acceptable. How many of you have ever noticed that when you're anticipating something good, you're anticipating something um, that you're or looking forward to something that's to come. Um, how many of you have noticed that you get a lot more done? Like, think about it this way. When, when you're about to go on vacation, don't you get about twice as much work done as you do any other time? And you don't really mind it because you're like, next week I'm going on vacation. And so you're working, you're getting things done, you're, you're cleaning house, you're doing all kinds of stuff, getting it all ready. Um, and, and here's the reality, you can pack your clothes in like an hour and a half to two hours. We can pack all our children's stuff in a couple of hours and be ready to go on vacation. But when we come back from vacation, we live out of our suitcases for like three weeks. It's like we just open it up, put it in the bedroom and walk by and grab something. When it's empty and the clothes have gone to the wash, then we put up the suitcase, right? But, but it's funny how when we're anticipating something good, looking forward to something, it motivates us. And so this motivation is really what kills our apathy. And apathy is just sort of going through life half-hearted. It's sort of halfway working at it. It's sort of um, half-stepping and, and, and what we would uh, get onto our, our baseball team for not really going full speed. It's when um, in our relationship with God, when our heart's not really on fire for him and we're just kind of going through the motions. And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about apathy. But what I've found is that the greatest thing that kills apathy is motivation. And the greatest thing that brings motivation in many cases is the anticipation of something good. That's what Paul's talking about in these verses, is he's trying to get them to see that, look, don't worry so much about the day and the time. They're thinking if we know the day and the time, we can be prepared when Jesus returns. We can be prepared on that day of judgment. We'll be ready. Paul's saying, listen, it's not as important for you to know the day and time as it is the fact that you know Jesus. So just keep walking with him, keep being in this relationship with him. And ultimately, whenever that day and time come, you're going to be prepared. You're going to be ready. But he's saying, this is something you do moment by moment, day by day. It's not something you just do and you're just going to cram it all in right there before he comes on Tuesday if it's Monday, right? And so he's trying to get them to see this. And when we're anticipating something good, 
It motivates us to move forward. But the reality for us is this, that many times in church, we're very apathetic. In fact, I believe what's gotten our uh, church and, and the church in the United States in the position that it's in has been apathy. We just kind of go through the motions. We don't really get, um, we're not really excited or zealous for the Lord. We just kind of go through the motions. We, we have our Christian tag or our Christian card or our Christian t-shirt or our Christian fish on um, the back of our car or our stop, drop, and hell doesn't work in, um, or stop, <laughs> stop, drop, and hell. Stop, drop, and roll doesn't work in hell. I saw that again the other day. I was like, well, that's gonna bring them to the Lord. And, um, <laughs> If you got that on your car, sorry. <laughs> but it's like, uh, you know, I mean, and, and so we just are just apathetic. We don't really go after Jesus. We're not really pursuing him. I felt like the thing that he put in my heart today to tell you was to look at me, not as in me, as in Brandon, but look at me as in Jesus. Look to him. Look to him, the author and perfecter of your faith, the, the one who's called you to run this race of faith the one who's called you to, to, to a relationship with him, the one who's called you to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God so that his fire burns inside of you with a message of the good news that you cannot contain, but you have to share. This is the God who wants you to look to him as we run this race. Because the apathy is not acceptable. Half-hearted following Christ is not really following Christ at all. It's like we saying, we surrender all. We're either all in or we're not in at all. And so many times what people see about church is that you just attend maybe one out of three Sundays. You have a Bible. Maybe it sits on the coffee table at home. Maybe um, you say the blessing at meals and that's about the end of Christianity, but that's not Christianity. What we would call people who are, are, are on fire for Jesus, who are running hard after him, who are going after him, who are in a relationship, a living, breathing relationship with Christ, we oftentimes call them fanatical, but what we should call them is normal Christians. People who are following what the Bible says. People who look at this as God's truth and say, I'm gonna live by it even when it's not my preference to live by it even when it doesn't line up with my experience or what I want my experience to be, I'm trusting that God's word is true and I'm gonna do the things that he tells me because I believe that he has my best in mind and that ultimately it's what's best for me and best for his kingdom and what brings him glory. And so we need to see that. We need to be anticipating the presence of Jesus, not just when he returns, but every day. Because this is what I found when I anticipate the presence of Christ, when I'm looking for the presence of Jesus, when I'm excited about him, it's amazing how much more he does in my life. It's amazing how much more motivated I am in my pursuit of him. When I'm not halfway going through the motions, but I'm truly pursuing who he is. And so I want you to see that. Let's go back and look at the first two verses again. It says, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates we need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. One of the things that does away or that, that happens when we become focused or anticipating Christ's return is that we become focused. We become focused people. And, and, and we need to see this and understand this. This is what um, God wants us to be, is focused on him. And it begins to to melt away the apathy that's in our life when we put our eyes on 
Christ. I know this for me, and Susan can tell you, my wife can tell you this, the night before I preach, like Saturday night, there's a certain time that like my mind starts going straight to the message. And so there's like this focus that starts happening where she just knows like he's zoned out, he's already thinking about tomorrow, he's in Sunday morning already, right? And so she just realizes that. And so it becomes very focused for me. I start thinking, I would, I would put it this way, I sort of go into my game face of this is what, it's about that time to do this again. And I think that's what Jesus wants from us, but I think that's what he wants from us every day. It's for our focus to be that way on him. That our focus is, is like, it's like tunnel vision, that we're pursuing him. I think about horses that have the, the blinders on each side. I don't know if that's what you call them or not, horse people, but they like blinders to me. And, and I think about how they're there so that they don't get distracted. And, and I feel like we need to be the same way that we're not distracted from pursuing our savior, but we're consistently going after him. That even in all of our other things that go on in life, that they're not something that we do separate from God. It's not a compartment separated from him. What it is, is it's, it's, it's a still a part of our life in him so that he touches every aspect of our life and our life is focused solely on who Christ is. He says in these verses that that day will come like a thief in the night. And why does he use that? Because the day and the time is unknown. See, if you know the day and the time that the thief is coming, then you'd be prepared, right? You, you'd be ready. I always felt like I was gonna be ready if we ever had a thief come into our house because I always have a gun somewhere near our bed. And I'm like, if somebody comes in my house, I'll just jump up and get the gun and shoot them. And then one night I'm laying in bed, we have an alarm system. About three o'clock in the morning, the alarm system starts going off. It's like, and it's just huge loud noise. And I jump up and instead of running to get the shotgun, I'm just like running around in circles. I don't even know what's going on. You, you know, you've been so asleep that you're like, I don't even know what, what county or state or country I'm in. And, and then Susan comes running from the other room. She had fallen asleep with one of our other, our little boys and, and she comes running. We almost run into each other. We're like, what's going on? What's going on? You know? And, and I thought I was prepared. And yet the reality of it was I, I wasn't very prepared at all. I, I thought that um, I'd be ready for that, 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 that moment when that happened. And it turned out it was like a bad smoke detector or something that woke us up. But the reality of it was like I, I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was. And my question to you in that is, how prepared are you? Like, are you prepared to meet Christ? Are you prepared for that day? Are you anticipating that day? Are you focused on him? Does he have your life? Because the lie in Christianity is also this, that I can sort of be a Christian, that I can proclaim Christianity but not live it. When the reality of it is, if we proclaim it, our life will show it. We're not saved by the things we do, but when we are saved, the things we do begin to change. There begins to be a difference in our life. And when you look at life, when you look at your life and you evaluate what your life is producing, does it show that you have a relationship with Christ or are we just Christians by name? Or are we followers of Jesus? If you look at the next verse, verse three, it says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman 
and they will not escape. See, this verse right here should be enough to light a fire under us as Christians. Because the point of it is saying that there are people who don't know Christ, that the destruction on that day of judgment is gonna come upon them. That there are people who are gonna live separated from God. See, we live in this world where now everything's just okay. We live in a world that, that says there's no absolute truth. We live in a world that in the end, it's all just gonna work out. But the reality of it is, God, as good as he is and as, as uh, loving as he is, he is also just and he's also righteous. So he has to judge sin. It's not that God wants anybody to be separated from him for eternity, but the reality of it is that because of his holiness, people who are sinful cannot come into his presence. That's why it's so important to have our faith in Christ because only Jesus took our sin upon himself, took the punishment for that sin, was separated from God the Father, and then died, was resurrected, doing away with our sin forever for those who put their faith in him. But we gotta realize that there are people who are gonna to come to this place of destruction because they don't know God. They don't know Christ. Their faith's not in him. And so we have to come, this would be enough to light a fire under us. And we live in a world where we just think it's all gonna work out. I mean, it's, it's like the whole thing with participation trophies, right? Like everybody gets a trophy. I'm like, well, let's just do that on the first day. Let's just go ahead and give them out, right? And the thing is, I love that commercial where the dad is walking with his son to the car and he's got that trophy and he looks at it and it says participation. And so he's like, why do we get the same trophy of all those teams that we beat? And he's kind of thinking. And then he says, um, are we gonna start having hugs instead of handshakes? And then he finally rips the label off of the trophy and writes champs on it. And then he hands it to his son and says, here you go champ, like that. I love it. I'm like, because we need to keep score, right? We need to realize that not everybody wins. We need, to, we need to learn how to lose, right? And the reality of it is that for us, we've got to come to a place where we recognize that, listen, there's gonna be people who are in this third verse. They're separated from Christ. And God's given us the responsibility of letting them know that there's a God in heaven who loves them and loves them so much that he gave his son for them, that their sins could be forgiven. And now his kindness and love and his mercy invites them into a relationship with him. And so that's something that is good news for those who don't yet know Christ and good news for us who do. Verse four says, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So there's a big butt right there, right? My catch that? And, and, and it says, but you aren't like this. He's saying you're different from this. You're, you're, you're not like these people. You're in the light. You're not in the darkness. And what he wants them to see is that their position is in Christ. Therefore, they are in the light. There's a difference in them. He says, you shouldn't be surprised because you're going to be prepared. Then that day comes. It's not like, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. It's like, oh my gosh, thank God he's coming. 
And, and so there's a difference in how we look, how we live, how we walk, and there's a difference in our attitude as we anticipate the coming of Christ. And this attitude lights a fire in our heart that burns away the apathy, the, 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 the half-heartedness that, that, that oftentimes uh, just wreaks havoc in our lives. He says, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. He says, so look, here's the reality. You once were over here in darkness. You once were living in darkness. You didn't know the Lord, but there was a revelation of who Jesus is that came to you. And it came to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, when you came to faith in Jesus, what ends up happening is you go from the kingdom of darkness over into the kingdom of light. You go literally, the Bible says, from a place of spiritual death to a place of spiritual life. And so when we look at that and we begin to see that, so what Paul is saying. He's saying, you don't belong to this anymore, so don't live in that anymore. In fact, verse six, he says, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. He's saying, don't be like others. He's saying, don't be like those who have no revelation of Jesus. You're not in the darkness anymore. You've come into the light. You've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. So live like somebody who is walking in the light of Christ, who can see clearly who God is, who can understand that his word is good, that his word is what's best, that his word is there to give us life, not to restrict our life or to take life away. He's saying, follow him. He's saying, pursue him. He's saying, don't let apathy and this half-hearted pursuit of him get in the way of the rich relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. See, here's the thing is that when we're just sort of going through religious motions, the reality for us, the reality for, for those who are doing that, you're missing the best part. You're missing the relationship with Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if all that's ever been for you is going through religious motions, I want to encourage you today that you surrender to Christ and you come to a place where it becomes about a relationship with Jesus, not a task list, not a religious task list of do's and don'ts, but a relationship with him, where you know him, where he walks with you, and you are in tune with your savior. He says this in verse seven. He says, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Again, what he's saying is the reality is you don't belong to the night anymore, so don't do things that belong to the night. Now you've been brought into the light, so live that way. Live that way. As Christians, as we come to know Christ, we should anticipate our life changing. No one comes to know Jesus and then ends up uh, not changing. Everyone who meets Christ, everyone who is a follower of Jesus, as we follow him, our life begins to change. Has your life changed since you came into faith in Jesus? Because that is a constant that our life changes. Verse eight but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. One of the things we see as we follow Christ, as we pursue Jesus, is that what begins to happen is we begin to become equipped for the journey that he's called us to. 
And this anticipation of Christ's return, this throwing off apathy, this throwing off half-heartedness, this pursuit of Christ, what ends up happening is we begin to be equipped for the journey as we go. As we go along, he gives us what we need for the journey. He's saying in this, that in our faith, he gives us love. He gives us what we need to continue moving forward. In, in our faith, we realize that we have the hope of salvation, that that is our great hope that no one can take away from us, that nothing can take away Um, this great hope we have in salvation. And he's saying what God's doing is, even though you're gonna come into some difficult challenges and some difficult times, the reality is I'm giving you what you need so that you can advance my kingdom and so that you can persevere and continue moving forward. Because nobody said this was gonna be easy. In fact, it becomes challenging at times. As we try to advance the work of the kingdom, there's another kingdom that's trying to keep it from growing. But thank God that he gives us everything we need to do the work of the kingdom as he equips us in the journey. Verse nine, here comes the good news for us, those who are in Christ. He says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, this is another verse that just the verse itself should melt away any half-heartedness that we have. Because what he's telling us in these verses, this verse is that the wrath that was reserved for those who have sinned has been put on Christ. You're in Christ um, so that he paid your debt so that you can be set free from the sin and not subject to the wrath. He's trying to encourage them that that when that day comes, when it comes, you don't have to suffer under this because Jesus has made it right with him, with God. Verse 10, he says, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. He's saying he died for us. He's showing us how secure we are in Christ. He's showing us how secure we are, how sure this is. He's saying, listen, this is huge for us. This is a big deal for us. He's saying basically this, your salvation, your hope in salvation, your um, eternal status is not based on what you do or what you've done. It's based on your faith in Christ. It's sealed and it's, it's sure in Jesus. It's not something that you have to do. It's something that you have received and it is free in Christ. And people will say this all the time, but, but if it's free and I don't have to do anything, then I'll just go out and do what I want to, but then say, you know, well, I got faith in Jesus. But the reality of it is you won't do that because if you're a follower of Christ, your heart begins to change. You begin to live out of this this place of gratitude versus living out of a place of duty. Begin to realize all that God's done for you and you want other people to have what you have. And so these two verses are huge for us. It shows us this great privilege we have of being children of God. It shows us this great privilege we have of not having to suffer under the wrath of God. And then he says, and it's so secure that it's not based on your effort. It's based on the work of Jesus. It's so secure. It's not based on what you can do. It's based solely on the work that Jesus did on the cross for you. Now all you have to do is receive it. Now all you have to do is follow me. 
me, which for anyone who's met him, what you want to do is follow him. The problem for many of us is we've gotten such a bad taste of church that now we just associate Christianity with religion and we're missing the sweetness of a relationship with Christ. And so what I want to encourage you with is if that's where you are, throw that off and say today, God, I surrender all. Surrender you. I want a relationship with you. Does it mean you're going to be perfect? No. But does it mean you're going to be moving towards perfection? Yes. Because Jesus changes us. Listen, when we talk about being a disciple of Christ, a disciple literally means a follower. It means that in in those days, they would have a teacher, they would have a, a master, and his disciples would follow him. He would, they would follow him wherever he went, and they were learning from him. He would teach them as they go around and through town or whatever. And so what Jesus is calling us to be are his disciples, those who follow. And as you follow someone, as you walk in their footsteps, what begins to happen is you begin to become more like them. It's why focus is so important. It's why when we anticipate the goodness of God in our lives, as we anticipate his return, as we anticipate more of the grace that he's already shown us, as we anticipate more of the Holy Spirit in us, it's what begins to happen as we begin to, to become more like him, as we follow him. But that's what he calls us to do. Christianity is not a prayer you pray one time and then just live any old way. Christianity is a moment when you encounter a real living God and you say, I want to follow him for the rest of my life. When he goes, I'm going. When he stops, I'm stopping. When he turns right, I'm turning right. When he turns left, I'm turning left. When he tells me what I should do, I'll do it because I know that my master has my best in mind and he is shaping and forming me to be more like him. It's what God wants to do in each one of us. Here's one of the problems I see in this though. Many of us have put our faith in Christ and he's brought us over into the light He has brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life. But the problem for a lot of us is that we are living like we're still here. I'm not talking about just morally, not just whether it's in sin or not. I'm talking about in forgiveness. Many of us have been brought into the light. We're children of the light, but we look at ourselves and we feel like others look at us as though we're still in darkness. So many times it's easier for us to feel like other people are forgiven than it is for us to really be able to receive forgiveness ourselves. So many times it's so much easier for us to to see other people as forgiven than it is to even be able to forgive ourselves. And I wonder how many of us in here today have put faith in Jesus, but we're living in a way that we're really not walking in all that that means because we can't see ourselves out of the darkness. This is what I can tell you. There's not one perfect person in this room other than Christ. There's not one perfect person. There's nobody in here who wouldn't bust the gates of hell wide open if it weren't for faith in Jesus. 
And the reality for us is we need to see this and understand that the point of Christ is to take this darkness off of us, to take what it deserves and then to be put in a place of light. That's gone. That is separated from us. It is no more. That should be enough to light a fire under us and to melt away any apathy, any half-hearted pursuit of Christ that exists. And so we come into the light. We come into this place where we receive the forgiveness and we walk in it. See, this is not a church for perfect people. Perfect people, like you don't need to go here because this is a place where there's a lot of imperfect folks. But this is what I also know. It's a place where real life change happens. And it's not because of a band or a preacher or lights or anything else. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit working through the gospel of Jesus. And what we wanna see is we wanna see more lives changed. We wanna see more people whose hearts are set on fire by the gospel. We wanna see more people who come to faith in Jesus and not just to raise my hand, get some fire insurance kind of way, but in a way that says, I am all in. Are you all in? Have you, listen, listen, have you gone from darkness to light? Have you gone from spiritual death to spiritual life? That's the most important question you'll ever answer. In other words, do you know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? Because if you don't, today is the day of salvation for you. It's the day that you can say, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to follow him for the rest of my life. I want my sin forgiven. Yes, but I also want him to be my master and my Lord. I want him to call the shots because listen, when I call the shots, it doesn't work very well. But when he calls the shots, I know that I'm in the perfect will of God. And I know that a good, sovereign, faithful God is in control. So where are you? Have you crossed from death to life? Have you gone from darkness to light by faith in Jesus? If you haven't, then today can be the day of salvation. And I wanna ask you that question. I wanna know if you're in a place today where you say, yeah, I wanna receive him as the Lord and savior of my life. I wanna go from death to life. I wanna go from darkness to light. I wanna go from wandering in my own mess, in my own way, and I wanna come to a place of knowing him. If your heart's beating 100 miles an hour and you feel like this might be me, it's probably you. Satan's not telling you to respond because he doesn't want you to. What I'm telling you is if today God's calling you to make a response, and this is how I want you to respond. If today you say, I want to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life, as my God, and I want you to raise your hand right where you are with every head up and every head 
looking around. We're going to celebrate this like crazy. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to be celebrated. So today you say, I want to go from darkness to light, from death to life. Here's your opportunity to respond to that. why we do what we do. We just want to pray with you. We want to help you take your next steps because this is not the end of a journey. This is the beginning of a new life. See what happens in that moment of faith. The Bible says that the old is gone and the new has come because he who is in Christ is a new creation. So today, if it's time for you to take that step, now's your opportunity. the next opportunity for some of us we have things that we need to surrender we need to let go of we sang the song I surrender all but have we I feel like every one of us has something that we tend to hold back from God but today again we have the ability to come to him in Christ and to let that go invite you to take a step of faith and you come to the front our prayer team will be here chase will be playing be a time for you to receive prayer a time for you to pray if you want somebody to pray with you they will if you want to spend time by yourself that's fine it's an invitation for you to come and to surrender all to let it go holding you back, that's keeping you from fully pursuing Christ. I don't know if it's a sin, if it's a relationship, if it's something in your marriage. But this is what I do know. Jesus is big enough to fix it or to bring you through it. So this is what I want to do. I want to pray. When I pray, I'm asking you to move. I'm asking you to come in an act of surrender, spend time here with the Lord. When I say amen, if you're ready to leave, you can be dismissed. Otherwise, you can come and pray. Come and surrender. So I'm going to pray you move, then we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your love and grace in our lives. Thank you for the power of the gospel. Don't let us settle for spiritual, just a spiritual apathy that's so rampant, God. But set our hearts on fire for you. God, let it impact and affect and just overshadow every area of our life. Lord, we love you. I, I pray, God, right now for marriages in this room that you would strengthen them, that they would truly be able to, we'd truly be able to look at the marriages in this room and say that that marriage is a model of Christ and the way he loves his church. I pray for those struggling with a sin, whether it's pornography or sexual sin, if it's drunkenness, if it's 
greed, this gossip, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that they would feel the release of that over their lives. That they'd find someone who loves you, who's going after you, and that they would let, you, let them walk with them through it. Lord, I pray that you would set our hearts on fire. Let us fan that into flame. Give us a heart for your word, a heart for prayer, a heart for others who don't know you. That we would share your heart with other people. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for you are good. And you've shown us that goodness through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.